This evening we are going to be in the book of Judges, chapter 15, verses 1 through 20, which is the entire chapter. And we are going to, uh, as I said, read the whole chapter. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, bring the text up on the screen. After some days at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And the father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time uh, I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. And so Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches, and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. And then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife Uh, and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Now, uh, then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they said, we have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. And then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, we have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And he came to Lehi, and and when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and the place was called Ramoth-Lehi. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out of it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived Therefore, the name of it was called En Hakor. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of Philistine of the Philistines 20 years. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So in the 
uh, recent decades, uh, the Roman Catholic Church uh, has been rocked with very real and serious allegations of abuse. That was bad enough. But unfortunately, the Protestant church is, is also not unfamiliar with scandals. I even subscribe to a regular service that informs me on what's going on in the evangelical world. What's the latest? Uh, what's the latest? And uh, you may or may not be surprised how many uh, pastors and ministries are being sued or going to, uh, going to jail because of fraud or abuse or various things. But even apart from these scandals, there are very real challenges in the church that come from just the reality that you and I are flawed human beings and the church is made up of flawed people. Even as the redeemed, we are often slow to understand, quick to speak, quick to be offended, and slow to forgive. We are guilty of sins of omission and sins of commission. So it is not, uh, you know, simply uh, it, it is not simply, you know, looking around. But even as we look in the mirror, we are pressed with the question: How can God work with such flawed instruments? Well, the good news is that He most certainly does. We see it here in the life of Samson. So tonight we continue, uh, really, actually, it's a continuation uh, of, our, of the last episode that we looked at last week, where God uh, even worked through Samson's own lust for a Philistine girl to bring about the humiliation of Israel's enemies. So tonight, first, we are going to uh, consider uh, the revenge of the, re- of the rejected Samson, uh, then the failure of God's people in the tribe of Judah, and finally, the work of the judge of Israel. So first, let's consider the revenge of the rejected Samson. And, uh, and, and so just to give us a little uh, refresher on our maps here. Uh, so we're in that southern section of Judah and, and, and Dan, that kind of turquoise-colored uh, tribe on, on the uh, left-hand side of the map there. And uh, like I said, I still haven't figured out how to overlap these maps, but uh, Philistia came and, and, um, and took over that. It's on that left-hand section there. So it's overlapping into, uh, into Judah and Dan. So you can, it makes sense that when they, uh, the Philistines get furious and they want to go make somebody pay, that they just hop over into Judah because Judah is right there. So, this is, so that's the map we're dealing with. And we see Samson as he uh, lights up the enemy. Samson goes to see his, his wife in this very confused situation, apparently. Uh, now, in those days, you, uh, you know, in, in our time, you, you know, a, a, a man and a woman, they get married. And then after the marriage ceremony, they go on their honeymoon and then they go to their home. Right. That's the kind of normal standard course of events with some deviation, of course. But that's the traditional way. Uh, that is not the traditional way in the ancient world. Uh, when you would get married, especially in this time period, uh, time period uh, uh, the husband wasn't always ready. You didn't always have, you'd literally like have to go build a house. So it wasn't just like you had your own place. You had to go build a place or you had to go find a place. You had to go establish a home to bring your wife into. 
And so oftentimes, after, even after the seven-day wedding feast, the wife would still stay with her father, with her family, while the husband continued, even for up to three, four months of preparation. And then finally, he would come to take his wife home. Now, he would, peri- he would periodically come and visit his wife. And, uh, and as he does, instead of flowers, it was proper to bring, you know, a goat or something like that, as every young man does uh, when he is trying to uh, woo his bride. Uh, so, uh, and, uh, and so Samson shows up and, uh, with the goat, as you, as you do, and he receives some bad news, some very awkward news. Hi, Samson, good to see you. Got a little conversation we got to have, right? Uh, the ceremony hadn't apparently been completed. The dad thought he hated her the way he left in anger. And so he gave her away. And now she's married and that can't be undone. And we are given some insight into Samson's mind here as he uh, reasons out loud that, you know, apparently he could have been guilty in other circumstances considering the Philistines. But in this case, uh, he declares that he is justified in whatever happens next. Well, what does he do? Well... He uh, sets fire to the fields of Timnah uh, by cap. I mean, just imagine if somebody went and like burned down all the WalMarts and the Winn Dixies. Like that's what he basically did. He destroyed the agricultural production uh, of the town. This was devastating, somewhat almost irreparable damage to the local area that he did, and he did it by capturing three hundred foxes. Now that word actually. It doesn't technically mean fox. It can also mean jackal. And uh, many scholars actually argue that uh, jackals are a better uh, understanding here because, for one thing, foxes are harder to catch. They they operate usually by themselves uh, and they avoid humans, whereas jackals, uh, they uh, operate in packs. And so it would have been easier. Uh, now, even then, catching 300 of them is still, is still a supernatural uh, feat as he, as he did it. And while animal lovers certainly will hate how Samson treats these animals, any Israelite hearing this story could not help but smile uh, hearing about the grain and the standing grain and the olive orchard of the Philistines, their hated enemy, going up in flames. The Philistines do some quick detective work and discover the guilty party in Samson. But since they couldn't immediately get to Samson, uh, they decide to go and punish uh, the people who uh, caused Samson to to go off uh, like he did and kill their own citizens, uh, the, the, the woman and her father, and burn them alive. Samson, for his part, comes back, and we're not told how many, but kills a bunch of the Philistines. And just so you know, nobody knows what hip and thigh means in that line that says he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. Nobody knows what hip and thigh means, uh, but apparently it has something to do with the descriptor. Basically, he, uh, he wrecked them. Right, he, he he really took them out from hip to thigh. I mean, basically, they're kind of just saying the uh, just took the legs right out from under him. Okay. And so uh, Samson really uh, did a devastating uh, blow to those uh, Philistines. And what we see here, though, is essentially the fire of judgment beginning to break out against the Philistines. Fire is a major theme in this chapter. One author suggested that fire is actually a good metaphor for Samson himself. And I think that's right. I think it's a good, 
good descriptor of him. He's like fire. He burns everyone who comes near him, right? He even consumes himself. And so the fire of God's judgment is falling upon the enemies of God's people through this kind of almost random Israelite, as far as the Philistines are concerned. And so the enemies of Israel don't even realize the judgment of Israel, the judgment of, of God is falling upon them. Now, the beginning of the end is, is obvious here. Um, it, as it begins with Samson, it's not fully concluded until David. But, uh, but, uh, but the beginning of the end is not always obvious at the outset, right? You didn't know the end was beginning uh, at the time it began. It's usually, it's always upon reflection that we realize, oh, that's when the end began for, for him or for that nation or for this conflict. That's when the end of it uh, was, began to conclu- the, the conclusion began, essentially. And uh, we see this in wars. Uh, we see this in, in, uh, in this story. And in and th- and meditating upon this, I found the Apostle Paul very instructive, especially in Romans 1, on this point. You know, we look around at the world, at all the wickedness and, and just utter confusion and, and, and moral insanity of this world. And, me, and we may well wonder when the judgment of God will come. Paul says, it's already here. It's already coming out. He says in Romans 1 that the judgment of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness. And he wrote that almost 2,000 years ago. Because God has revealed himself to such a degree, such that no one is without excuse to not obey the Lord and and give him his due worship. But humanity has twisted the knowledge of God and perverted it. And the beginning of God's judgment is not in raining fire from the heavens, but simply by allowing sinful people to follow their hearts and, and seek after their own sinful and self-destructive desires. The fire of God's judgment is already burning. The enemies of God just don't know it. And so this moves us from Samson's revenge to the failure of God's people in verses 9 through 13. And here, uh, here we are uh, privy to uh, Judah's cowardice. There's something very shocking about this interaction here. The Philistines make a raid into Judah at Lehi. By the way, Lehi, nobody knows where that is. Okay, um, it's just it, uh, the word generally means hill, but that's and so that's kind of hard to locate. <laughs> so, um, uh, but it's it's somewhere in, it's somewhere in Judah near Phil, uh, Philistia, and they inform the Judahites that they're looking for Samson, and the men of Judah say, "How dare you? He's an Israelite." We will not let you know. They say, no problem. We will go get him for you. Right? There is no conflict between the tribe of Judah and the Philistines. Think about that. Why? Because the tribe of Judah has given up along with the rest of Israel. They've given in. The Philistines are our rulers now. How far the noble tribe of Judah has, has, has how far it has fallen, you know, and and how um, and now we can say that Judah was not nasty to Samson when they found him. Uh, he, you know, and, and and Samson for his part says, "Just swear you won't kill me," and the, and they say, um, and, and they say, "Don't worry, we don't want to kill you. 
We just want to tie you up and give you to the Philistines and let them kill you. Right? That's, that's all we want to do. All right? No worries, Samson. Um, now, we've already seen in the, the ugliness that occurs when Israel turns against itself and, and brother fights against brother. And we will see it again to, to a far worse degree than we have had, than we've seen in the book of Judges. But here we find even a noble character trait of Samson. He does not want to be in the business of fighting his own people. He's only in the game to kill Philistines. Right? He's in the game to kill the enemies of God's people. At any rate, the fact that Judah has given in so completely shows their hopelessness uh, in this situation. It shows their lack of faith in the Lord and their unwillingness to repent of their idolatry. Since it was idolatry that got Israel the, here in the first place. It actually reminded me a bit about, I was thinking about it, reminded me a bit about when Moses first began at God's command and empowerment, the deliverance of Israel from the Egyptians. And what did they do? They complained. Why are you taking off the Egyptians? You know, it, and so, it, and you know, they got mad at Moses for disturbing the status quo, even if, even if the status quo was slavery. And this should always stand as a warning for us. Uh, when we see or we're tempted for the church to give in. Our culture despises biblical truth. It was only a few years ago that the pop singer Justin Bieber was getting attacked viciously. And why? Why was he getting attacked viciously? He was called, being called a super fundamentalist Christian and all kinds of nasty. Why? Because somebody took a photo of him and his wife in a coffee shop reading a, book, a marriage book by Tim Keller. Noted, noted, rabid fundamentalist Tim Keller, who has a church in Manhattan, New York. There is a constant pressure upon the church to give up the truth of the word of God. Of course, we're, not, we're, we're, we're told that we're not being asked to give up that much at all. We're, we're just being asked to be nice. We're being asked to be more loving, to be more inclusive, to be more accepting. But, uh, you know, so, and, and to do that, all you need to do is just give up the, this reality of sin and, and, and judgment. Um, give up the natural order of, uh, that's established and maintained by God. Uh, give up uh, just the, all these kind of really being so hard-nosed about these things like marriage, gender, or even uh, the proper definition of divine love from the scriptures. And, and, and at this point, even though they'll say, well, you know, the people who want us to be more inclusive, more accepting, and, and even if that requires a softening of the doctrine, they'll say, look, but we're not asking you to compromise your doctrine of divine love. We want you to expand your doctrine of divine love. Uh, and it's like, well, yeah, but what you call love is not love. Because the Christian doctrine of love says that God loves sinful men and women in full view of our evil, not simply that we're misguided, not simply that we just made some mistakes or made some oopsies, but that in full view of our evil and our fully deserving His wrath, and He loved us in a special way, and that He sent His own Son to die for our sin and reconcile all who believe to Himself. 
That is divine love. And you cannot get there by rejecting the doctrine of sin. To give into the culture's demands is to effectively compromise the gospel itself. Now, highlight this because of the nature in the text that the text gives us between the two groups involved here the Israelites and the Philistines. They are directly opposed to one another. But there are other ways in which the church feels pressure to compromise from places that would purport to be much friendlier uh, to traditional uh, church-going people, uh, people who would love to use the church for their own ends, like politicians. I know politicians would never be disingenuous to Christians and just pander to the church to get us to vote for them. Uh, but, uh, uh, but they would love, they do it. And when churches become platforms for government doctrine or for the platforms for political parties, the church has given in to the culture. Because at that point, the church is saying, the most important thing right now is earthly power in America. The most important thing is not being heralds of the true king who sits on the throne. The most important thing, you know, the good news uh, of the church is not the gospel, uh, but uh, it is about who's going to win the next election, which haven't you heard is the most important one in our lifetime. We can look back at the World War II era and see this in, uh, put on shameful display. When you see the German state, Lutheran church, embracing Nazism. Or the, or the church in the USSR getting up and, and, and speaking the wonders and how great uh, uh, communism is, even with its atheist doctrine and how we should all embrace it. Now the church as an institution lives in the real world, which means that the church will interact with politics and society. While this is true, it does not mean that the priorities of society and politics should thus govern the work and the mission of the church. Our mission is not to get a certain person elected, but to proclaim the goodness of the king who reigns presently and is coming again. Let us never forget it and never compromise it because it's already started, (laughs) y'all. And it's only going to get less fun from here as we get closer to 2024. And this finally brings us to the judge of Israel at work. The judge of Israel at work in verses 14 to 20. And uh, in this episode, I worked hard at this title, but the, this episode I, uh, the, of, of Samson and, and battle, I, I, I have to refer to as the gloriously gory victory on Jawbone Hill. All right, because that's what he names it at the end uh, um, at Ramoth Lehi, Jawbone Hill. <laughs> and so the glorious, gore, gloriously gory victory of Jawbone Hill. And Samson was brought to Lehi by, the, by Judah, the, the men of Judah, and the Philistines crowed in victory. Here's the troublemaker. Now we'll shut him up for good, and everything will get back to normal with the Philistines on top. And, uh, and, uh, but uh, you remember. How earlier we talked about Samson and how he was like fire. Well, uh, it's almost as if Samson himself is on fire as the ropes are described as, as burning up to ash on his body. 
and he picks up a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Uh, and, to, and with the spirit of Yahweh upon him, he goes to work, destroying the enemies of God and his people. Now, two things here. Um, the freshness of a jawbone is a euphemism. Meaning, where does a fresh bone come from? A freshly dead thing. So, so, and so he's picked up a, a juicy jawbone. All right. I remember finding I lived out in the, lived out in the desert growing up, and I found a jawbone of a cow once, and actually found a, a whole almost almost the entire skeleton. Which, you believe it or not, my mom would not let me bring it home. You know, moms, what are you gonna do? So. Uh, she was like, what are we going to do with it? I was like, I don't know, but it's cool, right? And she was like, no, <laughs> you can like bring a bone home. <laughs> so, so, but he, but he gets a, so he gets a juicy jawbone. Um, but what's one, of the, what's one of the things that Nazarites are not supposed to do? Touch dead stuff, right? And here he is. With the spirit of the Lord, though, touching a jawbone. Samson is nothing but a paradox, is he not? In spite of Samson once again violating his Nazarite vow, God, by his power, enables Samson to kill a thousand men. Now, did Samson just stand there after one man ran up to him after the other? And you got to wonder, what did the 854th guy think? (laughs) When he's like, okay, 853 guys before me didn't get him, but I'll be the one. The reality is, is we don't actually know the details here. We don't know if it was several, uh, you know, a series of several encounters of several waves of, of Philistines, maybe in several nearby locations all around. We, we, we don't know um, uh, what, what would lead to this great uh, total. And, um, you know, when, when I was in seminary, my friend and I would, because uh, uh, we were obnoxious, we liked to make silly theological t-shirts that only seminary students would laugh at. And so one of, one of the ones I made had this scripture reference about the jawbone of a donkey and him killing a thousand men. And I, had, and I had the scripture reference, and then I had a picture of a jawbone, and it said equals, and I had a picture of a large, uh, what's called a minigun, which is like, a, like just a huge gun that fires, you know. But, but that's, the reality is, is that there was a supernatural event that occurred. Yes, it's true that, it, that, that a fresher jawbone would, not, would have lasted longer than a dry jawbone. I don't know if it would last a thousand men long, right? Uh, it's, it's not that he picked the right tool selection, which is why he was able to kill a thousand men. It was the Spirit of the Lord empowering him. And so we are not given the details, um, except we are told... Two things, that God provided the means and the enablement for Samson to use what he provided to achieve the victory he desired. That's what we're told. And that is the point we need to drill in our heads. When Christ was preparing his disciples for the coming days of persecution, he told them that they would be tied up, they would be bound and dragged before the authorities. And then he said, and don't you worry. And you're like, wait a minute, you just gave me a bunch of reasons to worry. He says, no, 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 don't you worry about what you'll say. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord will tell you what to say. The same Spirit that was was in Samson has been poured out to a greater degree in Acts chapter 2 in the time of the church 
and fills the people of God and enables his people to speak and to say what the Lord determines them to say. So don't you worry, he says, when they bind you and they drag you before and and the ropes don't fall like flax and there's no jawbones of donkeys to grab. But don't you worry about what you will say because the Lord will lead you. And, let, and so let us not fear the situation that we may be in, but let us trust the Lord who provides the, both the means and the spiritual enablement to rise to the moment to which we are called. And finally, we have to just take note of Samson. Uh, he, makes a, he sings a little song. He likes to make up, he likes to make up riddles and he likes to uh, make up songs. So he makes up a little song about this victory uh, and, uh, and, and it, it, it rhymes in the Hebrew apparently. Uh, I'm not that good of Hebrew to, to rhyme, but, uh, but apparently it does. And, uh, but the moment doesn't last very long as Samson is suddenly struck with overwhelming thirst. Now, after killing a thousand guys, I would think that he would be thirsty. You know, think of like sports athletes coming like, you know, after a game, you know, I refuel. You're like, Samson is, he's running on empty, more than empty. And, and, and crying out to God, Samson acknowledges, at least for us for the first time, his dependence upon Yahweh. The reality, the victory was truly the Lord's and Samson knows it. And he recognizes his need for divine help at that very moment. He's going to die unless God helps him. And God responds by bringing water out of the hollow place, out of this rock, to revive his servant. And so here is a a, a great and grand God who has delivered his servant from an impossible situation. Here God brings deliverance to Samson and Israel. Even though Samson breaks a Nazarite vow, but by the Spirit kills a thousand of the enemies of Israel. Talk about drawing a straight line with a very crooked stick. But our God will bring about great and wonderful victories in, of, uh, for his people in the most surprising ways. This is what God does. Samson's story encourages us to, to trust the Lord, to fight against sin, to fight against temptation, to, to fight against the spiritual principalities and powers of this world, which are at war against God and his church. And finally, we are reminded that a deliverance begins with the Lord in verse 20. The text concludes here with the narrator indicating the length of time that Samson judged Israel, 20 years. Now, uh, what's interesting about this is not just that it's verse 20 and it says 20 years. That's interesting. But it's odd because this isn't the last word to say that uh, uh, to say about Samson. He gets a whole another chapter after this, but the normal pattern is this is the last sentence that comes at the end of a judge's ministry. And so this hints that what's gonna, we're going to look at next week, what uh, at, at the at Samson's uh, at the end of Samson's life, that the, that it's important and that there's something odd about it. We need to pay attention to it. But, the, but God has indeed begun the deliverance of his people through Samson. What well, began with 30 men at Ashkelon in the previous chapter has now escalated to a thousand men in a glorious victory through a, single, uh, through a single servant of the Lord. Here we have the deliverer of Israel rejected, betrayed by his own people who achieves a supernatural victory on behalf of a people who aren't even being asked to be, who aren't even asking to be delivered. 
this certainly ought to direct our minds beyond Samson unto Christ, who was rejected and betrayed by his own people, who was handed over to the Romans by the Jews, but in the face of, certain, uh, of a certain victory for the wicked and the devil, Christ rose victorious from the grave to bring about a deafening blow to the enemies of God. And that victory continues today in His church. We carry forth the victory of Christ in us. And until Christ returns, we carry that victory. And when He returns, Christ will bring the fire of judgment with Him. And so we need to commit ourselves as a church to be found faithful until that day. Let us not be the church that compromises with the world for short-term gains and influence. But the church that sacrifices everything for eternal truth. Let us live according to the word of God and trusting ourselves to the direction of the Son by the power of the Spirit. Let us give thanks that God can and does use flawed instruments to accomplish His purposes. We know He does because He uses us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You do indeed draw straight lines with crooked sticks. And here we are, Lord, a bundle of crooked sticks that You have delivered from the fire of judgment in Your blessed Son. We pray, Lord, that You would guide us and lead us as we continue to worship and follow You. Lord, may we be uncompromising in our commitment to You. May we not settle or give up as as the tribe of Judah has done to their Philistine rulers. May we not give in to the temptations of the flesh and simply give ourselves up to them or to the culture in the world. But Lord, may we remain faithful by Your grace and help. Lord, we pray that that You would continue to guide us. That we would celebrate the victory that we have in Jesus, who is the greater Samson who has won the greater victory. And Lord, that that we may continue without fear, but in faithfulness to proclaim your mercy and good news, even if we are bound and dragged before this authority or that. Lord, that we know that you will give us the words to speak. You will lead your people. You will rule and guide your church until your kingdom comes in its fullness. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.